Hey, Merry Christmas, everybody. God started a journey back at the beginning of time. Obviously, none of us were around for that. But at the beginning of time, when he created, what the Bible tells us, he created Adam and Eve. He created them in a state where he was relating to them as we relate to each other face to face. But he gave Adam and Eve a choice, which he gives to every single human being throughout human history. And this was the choice. You can let me lead your life and define for you what is right and wrong, what is good and evil, and show you what it is to fully be human. Or you can make another choice. You can lead your own life. You can make decisions for yourself. You can determine what is right and wrong and good and bad and, and for yourself chart your own course in life. And so if you know the story, Adam and Eve made a choice. They ate of a tree that they could not eat of. God told them not to eat of. But in doing that, they made a statement to God. Thanks for the offer, but we'll take it from here. And that started the, the story of human history that has unfolded over the centuries that we are a part of because every single one of us, although we were not in the garden at the beginning of time, we've all made that choice. At one time or another in life, we've all made a decision. Will I let God be the leader of my life or will I choose to do it myself? And God lets us do that in his grace, his mercy for humanity. But when we do that, we lose something. We lose connection with God. We lose relationship, which is the very reason that God created us to be connected to him. And so that journey took God from creation throughout what you just saw in that video. Throughout human history, God is intersecting human beings and he's creating circumstances to get our attention through prophets and through his people and through all these things. And, and still, time and time again, what do we do as human beings? We say, God, thanks, but no thanks. I'll do it on my own. The Bible defines that as failure or sin, which means we've decided to, to take it on ourselves to try to create a reality that we can only experience when we are reconnected with God. So then, in the midst of human history, what we celebrate in this season, we call Christmas. God himself decided to encounter human beings face to face again. And Jesus came into this world and was born as a human so that he could be with us. This journey that Jesus began at the beginning of time with the Father leads to the destination that he has is not just to come and be a person who lived on the planet for 33 years or so, but ultimately his destination was every human heart. That's why he became human. And that's why when he lived a perfect life and then he died and then he rose from the dead and he went back to the Father, he sent his spirit into the world that now dwells in the hearts of humanity who says yes to him and says, I tried it my way to lead my life, but I realized you're the one who created me and you know what's best. And that's why people surrender their lives to Jesus. Because the, we realize that we get to the end of ourselves and we have no hope within ourselves. We have no answer within ourselves. And then we find Jesus, the one who created us and gives us purpose and meaning. What I'd like to do for just the next few moments is I want us to go and, and there'll be some things up on the screen that you can read, but, but I want us to go back to what we call the, the birth narrative or the Christmas narrative, which is the most famous one that most people read. And that's in the New Testament in Luke chapter 2. And those first 19 verses highlight for us the journey that Jesus took coming into the world. And there's some significant things within that, those verses that helped for us, each one of us, to define something about our journey. Because while Jesus is on this journey to encounter every human heart, we're on a journey as well that we just don't know we are. We are on this trajectory that eventually comes to an encounter with Jesus. 
but we're different places, different places along this journey that God is eventually leading us to wanting to encounter at us, or us at the level of our hearts. So those three areas I want us to look at, the first one is this, is that for some here, Jesus is nowhere. And what I mean by that, well, we're going to look in, in Luke chapter 2, the verse, first seven verses, that, is that Jesus isn't even really on your radar. In fact, he's inconsequential in your life. There's no really room for him. There's no space for him because your life and the rhythm that you live doesn't include him. And because of that, you almost have come to a place in your life where you don't even know if he ever really existed. That maybe Christians have just created some kind of a fairy tale or a legend or folklore to make themselves feel better, but, but a reasoned and a smart person would think, that can't be true, that can't be real. Well, let me just read the first seven verses of Luke chapter 2, and, and this is what happened when Jesus came into the world. Really interesting what happened to him at his birth. You would think if the God of the universe was going to be born in human flesh, it would be done in a way that the entire world would know that he had arrived. But listen how he comes into the world. It says, in those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken in the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth into Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house in the line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. And when they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. And she wrapped him in cloths and she placed him in a manger because there were no guest room available for them. Now I want you just to think about this for a moment in, in this context. This is the God of the universe who can do anything he wants to do. I think he could reserve a hotel room for himself. But when Jesus comes into the world, he comes in in a very inconsequential, humble way. In fact, from what we can tell from the narrative is that Jesus is not born in an inn or a hospital or a home. He's born in a stable, or most likely something was more like a cave kind of carved out of the side of a rock where animals were housed, and he was born in a trough that they fed from. That's how he came into the world. And so when the God of the universe decides to come into the world, right off the bat, there's no room for him. There's no room even in the inn for him to be born. There's no room in the lives of people. And it's interesting, even though that happened 2,000 years ago, for many of us, there's still no room in our lives for him. And we've come to this logical conclusion that there doesn't need to be any room in our lives for him because I don't really think he really existed. Now just for a, for a moment, I want us to, to think about this. What if you're here tonight and you've been convinced Jesus never lived? It's just things that people made up. Just like all the religions just make up stuff to make people feel good about themselves, to have a crutch to navigate their way through their life. But what if... What if Jesus actually was a real person who actually was flesh and bones just like us, who lived on this earth 2,000 years? What if he was? Maybe he wouldn't be nowhere. He actually has to be somewhere if he was real. So just for a moment, I want you to go with me. I'm going to set aside the Bible for a moment because I know for many skeptics, the Bible is biased. The Bible is written by a bunch of people who had a vested interest in the outcome. So let's just set aside the Bible for just a moment, which, by the way, most secular historians would agree is one of the most accurate, restored, and held on to truths about true history than any other document that we have in existence. But we'll just set that aside for a moment. Because I want you just to think, if you were outside of this narrative and you didn't believe this, is there evidence that Jesus ever walked the planet? 
Now, I know we don't have hours, okay? We're not gonna take time to go through a long history lesson, but I just wanna highlight three people, three very significant people that made mention of Jesus that gives us absolute verification of his reality in this world. The first one is this, his name's Josephus. And Josephus, you can see up on the screen here, he's a Jewish historian who referenced James as one who was condemned, who was the brother of Jesus, the so-called Christ. And also refers to Jesus as, a, as wise and that he performed surprising feats. Now you think, well, okay, this is an old dead guy talking about another dead guy. Which, by the way, Jesus is not dead. He's alive. That's what Easter's about. But I want you to just think about this for a moment. This is a Jewish historian. Someone by his own nature and religion had rejected the reality of Jesus being the Messiah. And if anybody had a vested interest to write Jesus out of the historical narrative, it would be Josephus. But he includes him. And he even includes things that were said about him. Why? Because he knew that Jesus was a real person. So that's a Jewish historian giving us evidence that Jesus existed. Let's move to the next one. Tacitus in AD 112. Now here's a Roman. He's a senator. And he wrote a history of the first century regarding the burning of Rome in AD 64. He states, uh, he states Emperor uh, Nero falsely blamed, in quotes, the persons commonly called Christians who were hated for their enormities. Christus, which is Christ, the founder of the name, was put to death by Punctius Pilate, procurator of Judea in the reign of Tiberius. So now let's just move this. Now this is not a Jew anymore. This is a Roman. Remember the Romans looked at Jesus and thought, this guy's, this guy's going to bring an uprising and he's going to overthrow. He's dangerous. So he might want to write him out of history too, but he doesn't. He includes the fact that now the movement that spawned after Jesus was on the planet is now growing and we don't know what to do about it. Then let's start to a third, move to a third one. Pliny, or is known as Pliny the Younger in AD 112. This is a governor who wrote the emperor Trajan on what to do about the growing number of Christians, stating they were in the habit of meeting on a certain fixed day before it was light, and when they sang in alternate verses a hymn to Christ as to God. So this is a Roman official saying, this group of people who knew that Jesus existed because, by the way, that was an accepted fact at the time in the first and second centuries. He writes about this group of people who are now not only acknowledging that he's some kind of Messiah, but he's a God. He's God. So why do I highlight those three? You have a Jewish historian, you have a Roman historian, and you have a Roman political figure all saying the same thing. Jesus walked the planet. Jesus lived as you and I live. Why is that important? Because if that's true, none of us can say that Jesus is nowhere. He has to fit somewhere, not only into history, but the claims that he made and the followers that he has. And what does that mean for me today? Could it be that Jesus is more than nowhere in my life and I just haven't acknowledged that yet? Let's move on to the second maybe category, the second kind of place that you find yourself in this journey because whether you know it or not, Jesus is, is working in your life to move you towards an encounter with him. Maybe it's not that Jesus is nowhere, but maybe for you it's that Jesus is somehow, he's up there, which is not a bad place. Up there being, he is God. He is someone to be revered and respected and maybe followed. But if I was honest, he's not really personal with me. I know a God at a distance, but I don't know a God who's present in my life. I would never say I have a relationship with him. People talk about that all the time. It makes no sense to me because I can acknowledge that God is a creator and that Jesus was a real person, but it's not personal for me. Because let's go on in the story. When we get to the next verse, in verse 8 in Luke chapter 2, it talks about another group of people. It says, There were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. 
The angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will, great, uh, will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. And this will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. Who are the shepherds? Well, the shepherds culturally were the blue-collar workers who were dirty, filthy, marginalized group of people. And so God sends an angel to this group and then pronounces this great angelic choir, pronounces that Jesus is born, and their awe and respect for who God is is evident in this passage. But we don't know what happens after this Luke chapter 2. What happens to the shepherd? Do the shepherds have some personal encounter? We hope that they did. But at this point in their journey, they understand that there is a God, and they understand that he's coming in the form of Jesus, who's being born. But at this point in their journey, there's nothing personal for them. They go and they witness Jesus, but who are they witnessing? They're witnessing a baby. They might be thinking, how is this baby going to save my life? So for them, there is this awe and this respect much like many of us, we, had, we acknowledge there is a God. We do know that Jesus did walk the planet, and we know that somehow he is God, but there's nothing personal in our lives about that. Oh, we go to church, and maybe we do our biannual pilgrimage. On Easter, we get dragged to church, and on Christmas, we get dragged to church, and we go because we love our family. But beyond that, maybe we do some religious activities, but there's nothing there inside. There's nothing personal in our lives. There's a disconnect. And if we find ourselves in that, where we find ourselves is not only what the Bible would call a God-fear, which is a good, person, good thing to be, but more modern-day terms for us in our culture would be, you become a fan. Now, a fan is not bad. A fan is what you become when you admire and you revere somebody who's an athlete or does something special or a musician, and you look up to them, and you're a fan, and you're in awe of their ability. But there's nothing personal. There's no connection. So let me put it in my own context. So for me... My favorite band is Coldplay. I love Coldplay. have loved them for a long time. I've seen their concerts. I went and saw them in the Rose Bowl twice. Amazing show. I followed them on Spotify. I listened to their music. I was at The Voice uh, when they recorded the episode of The Voice where they released one of their new songs. I was within spitting distance of Chris Martin. It was amazing. It was a great experience. for me. I love Coldplay. But if I were to encounter the band on the street someday and I were to walk up to Chris Martin, who's the lead singer, and I say, hey, Chris, it's me. Remember in the Rose Bowl with the other 75,000 people, I was there screaming, singing your songs. I followed you on Spotify. Remember I was there at The Voice watching you release your song. I love Coldplay. What do you think Chris Martin would do? He would call for security immediately and say, who is this crazy guy who thinks he knows me? Why? Because I may know Coldplay from what I experienced in hearing them and seeing them and following them, but they don't know me. They don't know me personally, so what am I? I'm a fan. A fan is not bad, but we were never meant to be fans of God. We were meant to be in a relationship with the God of the universe, and that's why Jesus came, to be connected again to God, which means that there's an ultimate destination, an ultimate place that God desires for every human heart. And that is that God is not nowhere, Jesus is not up there, but that Jesus is right here, present, wanting our lives 
to intersect with his reality, his spirit, because he wants to dwell in our lives, in our hearts, and show us what it means to be human again. We've lost that because we've chosen to do it on our own. And the beauty of what Jesus did is to be the God who's right here. The Bible actually uses a name to describe him, the word, the name Emmanuel, God with us. Why? Because we became disconnected from God. And how we get reconnected is that there's, there's a huge disconnect between us and God, and it's what the Bible calls sin. And that is all our decisions and all our choices to lead our own life and to fail miserably in doing it, if we're honest with ourselves. But Jesus, when he came and lived a perfect life, then when he died, which is what we celebrate at Easter, his death and resurrection, is that Jesus took every moment of brokenness and pain and sin and sorrow and suffering in our lives, and he took it to himself, and on the cross... He took that as though he committed it, even though he didn't, and he wiped all of it away. Why? Because that was the garbage that sat between us and God, and we couldn't get to him. But now, we can be right with God. What Adam and Eve had in the garden, we can experience in relationship with God today. Because Jesus is right here. How do we know this unfolds? Well, this is, there's something in this story that is so powerful and unique that, yeah, we understand the shepherds. But Mary got something that everybody else seemed to miss or not see. So look at what the rest of the story records for us. It says, when the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and they found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. And when they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But here it is. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. Listen, there's something special about Mary's journey. Now I know she has a vested interest in this boy. <laughs> it's her son. But if you were to read the New Testament and read the Gospels, you would watch Mary's journey with Jesus. Eventually it, it transitions. He's always going to be her son. But in her life, there's a moment where he's, he transitions from son to savior. She's present throughout his life. She's there at the foot of the cross when he dies. She's there when he rises from the dead. But she's not just there as a mother. She's there as a follower. She's there as one who's his savior for. Why? Because what did she do? She took what she saw about who Jesus is and she internalized it and she considered it and she reflected upon it, who this person is and what this means for me. And she got the whole destination of why Jesus came to encounter humanity at the heart level. And why is that important? Because some of us have either never connected with God or we've turned our back on him because we've been convinced at some point in my journey in life, he might have been with me, but no longer he is. He left me in the midst of my pain. He left me in the midst of my sorrow. He left me in the midst of my failure, and I'm lost without him, but he's left me, and so now I'm alone. I want you to know that's not the truth. Because Jesus came in human history to make a statement to all humanity. God is with us. And he sent his spirit into the world after he went back to the Father to dwell in our lives, to demonstrate he will never leave us and never forsake us. And he's present here tonight. He's not going to come walking in the room, but he's here by the power of his spirit to change and transform the human soul. The only issue with any of it is not him. It's whether we'll receive him or not. It's whether we'll admit that he's actually present in our lives. 
So those of you who are part of Antioch, you've heard this story before, but I'll share this. Just a few years ago, we had a chance as a family to go on vacation. We went to Hawaii, and it was part of a conference, and so kind of in the free time, we took some time, and, and the four of us went snorkeling, and so Kim and Courtney and Jordan and I, we would go snorkeling. So we hit a bunch of different places on Oahu that were great snorkeling places to go, and, and, uh, and then we went to the most famous one, which is if you've been to Oahu and you've snorkeled, it's Hanama Bay. So, and I know I just lost you because now you're lost in that picture, right? It is one of the most amazing places to snorkel. And so if you've been to Hanama Bay recently, uh, it's very popular and you have to like get tickets and then you get to go down to the beach. And, and so there's a lot of people there. And so we got there and we got down to the beach, we got our gear on and got it, we were getting into the water and then we just set out snorkeling. And if you snorkel before, you just kind of meander and you just kind of follow what you see that's beautiful and the fish and turtle and the, and the coral, it's just amazing. And so we did that for a while. And, and if you've snorkeled before, you know when you're doing that, you kind of lose track of where you are. And everyone's, once in a while you pop your head up and you see, okay, there's the shore. So as we're doing that, though, there's, depending on, on, on that day particularly, uh, if you've been there, it depends what the tides are in, in the day that you're there. But there was, a, there was a pretty decent break right about the edge where the coral stops. And, and so we got out just beyond that break because right there, there was tons of stuff to see. And so we swam out beyond the break and we were just kind of there. And they, they give you warnings like, you don't want to drown, so be careful, kind of things like that, right? But so we were out there and I don't know how long we were there, but then we decided we were going to swim back in. And as we started coming back in, you started, you know, you're, again, your face is in the water, you're swimming, you're seeing stuff, and then suddenly you start to realize that where you're at now, where it used to be like 10 feet down, is like six inches of water. And we're not at the shore yet. We're out at the edge, right? We're not, we're not beyond the break anymore. We're not inside the break. We're at the break. And so we're at the break in six inches of water. Not a good place to be. Nowhere to run or hide. And so we had to make a decision. We either need to go back out or we need to get back in quickly. And so Kim and, and Jordan were just a couple feet in front of Courtney and I. And so we're literally like kneeling on some rocks and some coral and trying not to get pummeled by the surf. And then all of a sudden, Kim and Jordan, boom, they just hit it. A wave comes in and they just start swimming like crazy. And so that wave kind of breaks over Courtney and I. And I'm literally like six inches behind Courtney. And I know my daughter and I know her body language. And I can tell what's happening. She's watching her mom and her brother swim away. And all of a sudden, here it comes. She yells, don't leave me here. Of course, she had forgotten one very important thing. I was six inches behind her. So I tapped her shoulder and I said, Courtney, I'm still here. And she turned around and there was like this relief. Okay, at least I'm not going to die alone today, right? Both of us will die. And then when the next wave came in, we caught that and we, we rode that in and, and we were fine. But it was in that moment of panic that I think so many of us experience in this world because we're convinced God couldn't possibly be present in the midst of this in what I've been going through. But Christmas demonstrates that God would take on humanity. Can you imagine being perfect and never having to worry about death and never having to worry about sickness and illness and pain and suffering and then willingly choosing to embrace that so you could be amongst the people you created so you could save their souls. Jesus did that to demonstrate he's right here. He's present. And tonight you can encounter him. And here's how this works. So whether you know it or not, because I'm convinced Jesus lived on this planet and the claims of Jesus are accurate and true. He lived a perfect life. He died for our sin. He rose from the dead and he is waiting for those someday who've embraced him to spend eternity with him. That is all something I'm completely convinced of. But you know what else he's done in this world? 
The Bible made it very clear, and you can read this throughout passages, but there's one particularly in, in the book of Acts that says this statement. God chooses the time and the place where you're gonna live. You think you pick it. He's orchestrated it. And it, the Bible says it's for one reason. It's that you would reach out and you would find him. Why? Because he's been on this journey to encounter you and you don't know it, but you've been, it's been orchestrated that you would have an encounter or an intersection in your life to meet Jesus. Because ultimately what his destination is, is your heart. So I'm not gonna give you a long explanation and try to convince you of anything because I'm not smart enough. I'm not eloquent enough, but I know God's spirit is powerful enough to change your life. So if you're here tonight, and you know, if you're honest with yourself, regardless of what you might think on what's on the outside right now, but if you know in your heart, you're like, I can see. I can see maybe for the first time in my life that Jesus was real and that maybe there's something more that I've not realized that there is a God who loves me and actually came into the world and gave his life for me so that I could experience what it is to be human again. I could be reconnected to God again, the one who created me, and find a way out of the frustration and the failure that I've created in my own life by trying to lead myself. If that's you tonight, and in a moment I'm gonna pray, and then we're gonna go into another song, and then we'll, we'll conclude our service with, with candle lighting. But I'm gonna pray in a moment. I'm gonna ask you to pray, because if, what you have to understand is God hears your words, he hears your thoughts, and he's present. And if you will, as I pray, you're gonna pray, and you're just gonna tell, tell God this. I entrust myself to you. I'm gonna lay down the authority of my life that I've taken over, the leadership of my life, I'm gonna hand it over to you, including all of my sin and my failure, my brokenness, and all of my hopes and my dreams, and I'm gonna put everything in you and trust you to help me understand what it is to be connected with God again. And if you ask that and you surrender yourself, he is faithful to come. He'll forgive your sin, he'll begin to change your life, and he'll begin to show you, even though none of your, it's not that somehow all of your problems will disappear, but he'll give you meaning and purpose in your life that you've never experienced before. So let's go ahead and pray. Lord Jesus, you know the hearts of each person that is represented here. In fact, you know them not only physiologically, but you know them spiritually because you created all of who they are. And I know, Lord, tonight for some that have come your desire and you've had this date on the calendar of their life for a purpose. You've created an intersection in their life that they may come to know you. So Lord, I pray right now as I pray that you, that each person who has that desire, Lord, would begin to speak to you, begin to think about what it means to give their life to you. And right now, Lord Jesus, would you give us the courage to fully surrender ourselves. We wanna be like Mary. We don't want you to be a God who's nowhere or somehow you're so distant, there's no personal relationship. Jesus, we want to experience what Mary experienced, which was a personal knowledge and experience and relationship with you. So Lord, for each person tonight, would you come into our hearts? Would you meet the final place of your destination you desired when you started this journey that you would encounter every human heart and that so many tonight would surrender their lives to you for the first time and choose to follow you in your leadership in their life. We thank you, Jesus, that you are here and you are present in your name. Amen.
Tonight on your way in, you should have received a small candle. If you didn't get one of those, the ushers uh, can, get you, can get you one now. But that candle represents something that is very important and that we're celebrating tonight. It represents the light of God who came here to be among us, with us, to be right here. The prophet Isaiah in the Old Testament, it records that he prophesied about the one, the Savior, the Messiah, who was to come. And it's recorded in the book of Isaiah, chapter 7, verse 14. He says, Therefore the Lord Himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall come, conceive and bear a son, and shall call His name Emmanuel which is translated God with us. Tonight as we light these candles, we're celebrating Emmanuel, God with us, the God who is right here. In just a moment, you're going to receive that light. You know, we began our service with a video that, that zoomed in from the universe and it came all the way to where we are right here. That's the God that we celebrate. The God that came in human form as a baby to show us the way to live our lives. He, the God of the universe who is immeasurable is the same God that is right here, so personal. So as you receive that light, it's the symbol of you receiving something that is near to you, that is personal to you. And then you get to give that away to the neighbor next to you. As we light these candles, we're going to watch the room begin to glow with the light of our Savior. The light that can cut through the ugliness and the pain and the loneliness of the darkness and bring about the hope of His light. So this evening, let's light our candles and let's receive the light that God has for us. Sleep in 
and sing. Let's sing this together as we shine our lights tonight. carefully extinguish your candle. Parents, you can help the little ones to do that. There is a receptacle on the way out that you can use to dispose. And I wanted to remind you that if you came and took a family portrait on your way in, you'll be able to pick those up on Sunday at our pancake pajama breakfast. We're having one service at 10 o'clock this Sunday, but you can come at 9 o'clock for pancakes and bacon. It's going to be a fun time together. We'll see you on Sunday. God bless you, and Merry Christmas. We will see you.